The mission of the University of California's Natural Reserve System is to contribute to the understanding and wise management of the Earth by supporting teaching, research, and public service at protected natural areas throughout California. Today, the NRS includes 35 locations throughout the state, areas set aside where scientists, artists, and teachers can explore California's unique ecosystems. The Landells Hill Big Creek Reserve on the rugged Big Sur coast provides a perfect example of the system's growing importance. Covering almost 4,000 acres in the Santa Lucia Mountains, the reserve provides an intact benchmark ecosystem that scientists and students can use to interpret long-term environmental changes throughout the state. Dr. John Smiley was manager of the Big Creek Reserve for 16 years. Big Creek became a reserve through the efforts of, first of all, uh, a group of private owners who owned the ranch, owned the property, wanted to preserve it. And they were very dedicated to that preservation. And they worked out an arrangement with the Nature Conservancy and some private donors like Save the Redwoods League. And the Nature Conservancy made the purchase and then transferred the land to the university for us to own and manage. Uh, one of the things special about the reserve is the creek itself. There's no permanent human habitation in the entire drainage, no roads in the entire drainage except for our own road system, which we maintain very carefully. Um, this creates a, a stream without a lot of the usual sources of pollution that might affect creeks and makes us a good place for baseline studies. Nature reserves are really important to the people of the state of California. People are very concerned about their natural environment and we can do things here at the reserve to, to set examples and to do demonstrations and um, to bring people here to see how, how things might be if they manage the environment better. Local landowners and ranchers have come to the reserve to look at our road maintenance, uh, our roads and the way we maintain our roads. And they've been able to see that you can create uh, a dirt road that doesn't cause erosion and environmental damage. Another example is that we have uh, very um, sophisticated and effective solar electricity systems for our buildings. And that's, I think, been an inspiration for a lot of our neighbors to say, hey, we can, we can go on solar. Research at the reserve ranges from archaeological studies of the early inhabitants of the area to the diversity of moths in the watershed to groundbreaking geological studies. UC Santa Cruz graduate student Gray Hayes has focused his research on California's disappearing native wildflowers. My research deals with the impacts of cattle grazing on coastal prairie wildflowers, annual wildflowers, in California. And I'm focusing on annual wildflowers because a number of those species are threatened or endangered and are not recovering despite protection on public lands in the coastal zone of California. Uh, Big Creek for me is an incredible opportunity to work in the Big Sur area with my research. Uh, it's a very rugged area um, and it contains uh, different patches of grassland. Uh, and is an important element in my survey up and down the coast because I want to sample various types of grassland on the coast at various latitudes 
And so Big Creek Reserve serves as a station for me to work out of, and it served instrumentally in my formation of my hypotheses in looking at the pattern of grasslands here at Big Creek at different elevations, and, um, and then also looking at the varying land management uh, practices in Big Sur, where the reserve has no grazing, surrounding Forest Service lands do have cattle grazing. And so in, uh, when I got my pr started on my project, it was uh, one of the areas that I came to look and see anecdotally what kinds of patterns there might be on the landscape. It was very valuable for me. While I'm working here out of Big Creek Reserve, it makes it possible for me to uh, work uh, with my data in the evenings after taking data during the day. It makes it possible for me to be in uh, telecommunications contact with my research crew in Santa Cruz while I'm working there. It also puts me in a community of other researchers that are working in Big Sur uh, that um, let me put my research here in context with different ecosystems and different other processes that are happening here. Um, Big Creek Reserve also serves as a storehouse for local knowledge, um, everything from meteorological data to uh, data on plant community trends after fires and other disturbances in the area. My research shows that in order to maintain the native annual wildflowers uh, with these gra grazing disturbances, if that's what we end up doing, you also increase the cover and diversity of non-native grasses. And so there's a trade-off that we may or may not be acceptable. But if we're going to conserve those wildflowers, it will have to be acceptable in some places. And uh, I think some of the stories that are coming out of the Big Creek Reserve and other natural reserves are uh, stories about the competition of our native plant communities with invasives. And those stories, I think, are now beginning to trickle down to nearby schools, schools statewide. And I find the wildflower connection to be rather important, actually, because Californians, either through the smells of their wildflowers or through the visual beauty, are very connected to that. And it takes some explaining about what the difference between a beautiful smelling or a beautiful looking introduced wildflower is than a native wildflower. But with time, those stories will become more accepted and more understood. And I think it's that social acceptance of the need to steward our lands that is, th is the big job in front of us. The natural reserve system as envisioned by the founders was to set aside uh, each major ecosystem type of California permanently for research and teaching to serve as a template for what the past was before humans disturbed things so that we could always go back for what restoration ecologists call reference ecosystems to see how things were, should be, or are evolving without the major influence of humans. The reserves have been an important thing for artists, photographers, painters, poets, writers, inspirational places for students to come and really reflect on pristine ecosystems. And um, as California develops a um, watershed restoration approach to its land management, as is happening rather rapidly, it may well uh, be that university reserves serve as the reference watersheds in the bioregions where they exist. 
and um, this perhaps wasn't foreseen when the reserve system was first founded, but this is really becoming the baseline for water quality assessment uh, throughout the West and is a very, may be a very important role of natural reserves. Though portions of the reserve have burned in the recent past, logging in wooded areas has been very limited and the water quality in the Big Creek drainage is excellent. The intact forest canopy in the canyon bottom promotes cold air flow and fosters a very rich diversity in the stream. The creek is in such good shape that federal scientists use it to conduct baseline studies of threatened steelhead trout. Offshore, in the Big Creek Marine Ecological Reserve, scientists and local fishermen have teamed up to monitor fish populations for the last 10 years. The data we've gotten from the from the hook and line fish survey has been useful in that it shows very little impact of fishing right in these Big Sur habitats. And this is, I think, really important because um, when you create marine reserves, uh, it's very interesting to know if the habitat is already impacted before you create the reserve or not. And we know there's been some impacts, and some species in our survey do show a reduced size but most of the species don't, and it gives us some confidence that many of the fish populations, even outside the marine reserve, are still intact. Now the state of California is involved in creating a whole system of marine reserves, and this reserve is an example, probably the prime example of what a marine reserve can be, what it can mean for protecting fish populations, as well as how you manage marine reserves, uh, how you get build community support for marine reserves. It's not just Big Creek's terrestrial systems that make it ideal for classes. The adjacent marine reserve is also a perfect training spot for scientific diving. UC Santa Cruz diving safety officer, Steve Claybush, brings his Biology 75 class to the reserve regularly to test the students' underwater research skills. The goal of the class is to teach students who are already scuba divers uh, to do work underwater, collect data, um, and, uh, and, and to per perform experiments underwater. The program consists of uh, really three phases. Uh, we do a, a lecture portion. Um, we do uh, pool work where we uh, train in the techniques that will be used in the ocean in a confined water situation. And then we have an ocean experience where we take the uh, students out into the open water and, um, and refine the skills that they've learned in the classroom and in the pool. And at the end, we do a field week where we take the students out, um, just as we are today, uh, out into the field and try to put that all into practice. Because this is the students' first dive at Big Creek, the instructors use the pre-dive briefing to describe potential hazards, identify the correct entry and exit points, and discuss emergency procedures. They then brief the students on the day's activity and explain how to handle the scientific equipment they will be using. There are many big challenges uh, that, that face a, a diver working underwater. Um, logistics, just getting all the equipment that's required down to the, the research site is, is one of the, probably the, the, the largest ones. And then once you get to that research site, then you've got the whole 
aspects of, of, of the environment, the, the weather, the, uh, the surf, um, uh, the underwater visibility, the temperature. You've got a lot more challenges to deal with than you, you do on land typically, just because of the uh, water environment. With the pre-dive safety check completed, the students paddle out to the research site. Once they begin their descent to the ocean floor, they enter a remarkable world. The underwater topography here is, is, is unique in that it, it is all um, very large granite boulders. And this gives a good substrate for the kelp. So you have, you have a good kelp forest out there, which gives rise to a, 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 the fish that come in here. So it gives a, a, a really good habitat that, um, a, that, that's robust. And, uh, and so that, that's one of the benefits of bringing students here. It's, it's an area that, that um, you don't really see in, in a lot of places along the coast. The goal of today's class is for the students to run a transect line along the ocean floor and conduct population surveys at specific points along the line. They soon realize that tasks that are simple on land, or even in a swimming pool, become much more difficult in the ocean. One of the main challenges that you're faced with underwater is that uh, you're not in a, a static environment. The environment is very dynamic, so you're constantly moving, um, and, and not only are you moving, but the environment is moving around you, and so you've got to be able to focus and kind of orient yourself, and then be able to uh, write in a way that is legible to both you and anybody else that may be uh, interested in the data that you're collecting. Students must also work under strict time constraints, completing their experiments, retrieving their equipment, and returning to the surface well before their air runs low. Big Creek Reserve allows us to come to an area that is relatively untouched, and we can come to it time and time again, uh, perform uh, the data collection that we do, and then we can have a data set that, that we can use in our classes and that other researchers might be able to use. First-year graduate student Wendy Cover plans to focus her career on studying endangered coral reefs. Obtaining certification as a scientific diver is a crucial part of her training. Um, the classes definitely just helped me um, become a better diver and practice my research techniques and skills and using a lot of different um, implements to be able to do surveys properly. Now, the instructors have been great. Um, they're really experienced divers, they're really solid divers and I think they've done a good job of getting us together as a group and yet still giving us the opportunity to be leaders and to get people together and to practice doing it on our own. I think that reserves like this are really helpful um, and an amazing resource for students, for the UC system to have. Um, to be able to come down here and dive and have this as a resource where we can stay is really special and has been really important to our class in particular. Um, but I know it's really useful to a lot of other grad students and students that use this area. As growing human populations inevitably exert increasing pressure on ocean ecosystems, 
we must develop the scientific expertise to monitor its health. Someday soon, students like those training at Big Creek will play a crucial role in this endeavor. UC faculty use the reserve in different ways. The most important way they use it is for teaching. I think Big Creek really creates formative experiences for a lot of students. And faculty are almost guaranteed if they bring their class here that they will be affected by it and, and get something important out of it. Teaching at the Big Creek Reserve isn't limited to local students. Pamela Kittleson, a professor at Gustavus Adolphus College in Minnesota, brings her students to California each winter as part of a special field class. In January, the students take one course for the whole month, and that's an opportunity for them to try something new, experiential education, um, something outside of their major, to travel. And at least in the biology department, we look at it as an opportunity to teach field-related courses. So we have a course to Tanzania, to the Galapagos. And then when my husband and I, who also teaches at the college, um, thought of a good travel course, uh, both of us immediately thought about California. And I had worked in the reserve system for my PhD. I'd also taken a class as an undergraduate at the reserves. And it was just a great place to plug students in to field studies and also to meet the managers and the stewards and graduate students who are doing research in the reserves and get a taste of what it's like to be a professional biologist in the field. Our class starts in the desert and we start at Sweeney Granite Mountains and we spend several days in the Granite Mountains and then we go to Burns Pinion which is outside of Joshua Tree National Park and then we travel to the coast and we go to Santa Cruz Island and Rancho Marino. Last year we also went to Sedgwick. And um, now we come to Big Creek and we stay here for several days and our very last stop will be at Hastings Reserve in Carmel Valley. So it's a transect across California. Every time that we come through the wave gates and we start driving along the Big Creek, the students become silent and there are just gasps and people start saying, this place is unreal. And I don't believe that, that where I am. And I can't believe the landscape that surrounds me. And this is typically a, a highlight for them, visiting Big Creek. We hope students take away two major things. We hope that, that students will take from this particular course a sense of the diversity of California, that it contains some of the greatest assemblages of plant and animal organisms in the world. It's a very unique geographical complex, um, and it contains many unique systems that are endemic and threatened. So that's one thing that we would like them to take away. The second intent of the course is really to build a better sense of, of who they are and their role in not only their local communities back in the Midwest, but also to have a better sense of what's going on throughout their nation and, and to, to be able to think about how they may make a contribution towards land stewardship and environmentalism. The natural reserve system is particularly unique because it's so diverse. We can go to all of these systems and we can see some very unique systems. And the second reason the natural reserve system is perfect for this is all the reserve managers and people who work here are enthusiastic about courses that come here and will make time to speak with us about the reserve and some of the things that they are particularly interested in. 
um, and almost all of the reserves that we visit have facilities that allow us in January to be housed and to eat and to carry on conversations um, after dinner. College students aren't the only learners who take advantage of the reserve's unique resources. Educator Kim Smiley has developed a special program for teaching courses to K through 12 students. Outreach is important because the students need to understand why we have open spaces and how um, science works in a natural area. Oh, and when you teach science in a classroom, I found it takes you like four or five weeks to get through what is ecology. And in one day, the kids understand food chains, food pyramids, and all that, and, and they see it, and, they, and it's there forever in their brains, and it's a fun adventure for them, too. My animal adaptation activity is the most popular activity of all the activities I've, I've done here. Um, we use skulls from my animals uh, to learn about adaptations of teeth, uh, from a, you know, pointy teeth for the um, very young to carnivore, omnivore, and um, herbivore for the middle grades. And then some teachers actually, we, we do dentition and dent dental formulas so they can actually figure out what kind of animal they're looking at. And then they have a little short quiz about, well, what animal is this and how can you tell? Some really neat skulls. This one here is our, a wild boar that came from, from this area. It was our last big wild boar we had because um, wild boar were introduced into Big Sur, so um, they were sort of a problem. But it turns out, it seems that the mountain lion have kept all the young wild boar gone, and this was our last big one that we found. He was probably about, ouch, sorry, it's biting me, about 400 pounds or so, and uh, they can see the scissor teeth and, and see that they've got front teeth and grinders, so that, you know, it's more of an omnivore. This animal here doesn't look so well, because this is the mountain lion that was killed by a bigger mountain lion that we found up the road. And um, it was a young mountain lion, and you can tell because, I don't know if you guys can see it, but it has a little baby tooth right here which is going to fall out. So we figured this was a young male, probably a year old or so. He was just getting sexually mature probably and um, was in the wrong territory at the wrong time. And a bigger mountain lion actually poked a tooth right through his skull and and that's how you got killed. This is what a skull should look like. This is a roadkill rather than a predation. And this is what a skull should look like, like so. And again, that's how big he would open his teeth. And of course, that's always fun to have the kids put their little fingers in there. Anyway, um, and we've got, here's a possum. No, people don't realize that possums look so mean, but they are kind of mean animals. We've got these big canines here. And my favorite sort of looks like the alien. Um, this is a weasel. And you can see how he's, he's adapted to go down holes. And he's a predator, so he's got big, sharp teeth. And he's kind of neat. An animal's skull is not the only clue students study to determine that animal's lifestyle. Thanks to Smiley's taxidermy skills, they can often study the entire animal. Right now, what you're looking at is my roadkill museum, um, my bigger animals, and these are some of the subjects that the students would get to, to look at. And I tell them right away that they don't have to worry about getting germs because I've already washed them in a green shampoo. So they're all nice and clean, 
for them to touch. Um, it's their only chance to be able to touch, like a skunk or, any, or things like that. And so they'll take their animal carefully, and then they'll do their worksheets about, you know, why do they have paws the way they do, and what helps them um, survive uh, predation. And so they use their information card I gave them, which is just some stuff out of a book, and, um, and looking at the animal. They draw the paws, the forefeet and the hind feet, which for the people with the birds, that's kind of difficult. They have to think about what is a forearm on a bird and what is a hind leg on a bird. They'll draw the face, they'll draw the tail, and talk about why an animal would have a tail. This animal here has a very long tail because this is a tree fox, or the gray fox, and he climbs trees. And if you look at his, at his um, claws up here, they're semi-retractable like a cat, so they, they're a little bit sharper than most dogs' toenails, so he can climb trees and he eats bird eggs and birds and things. So he's one of my favorite um, ones to talk about adaptation because he's such a large animal from the nose to the tail, but he's really a short animal when he's walking around. Well, you know, the mountain lion is an, a, a favorite of everybody's. This is that mountain lion I was telling you about that um, got killed by the bigger mountain lion. He's six foot two, and that's a, a baby. He weighed about 120 pounds. My skunk, I always love skunks. Um, they're soft. And uh, you can see the, the beautiful coloration on them. And I try and have everybody touch their skunk. Oh, and the stuff that's coming out of their eyes, that's borax to keep the bugs from eating them. It's not anything. This, this is a scoter or a surf duck. And what I like about him, he was in his breeding plumage when he died. And so he's got this really pretty bill and head. Kind of glistens in the sun. And you can feel how soft they are. Well, most of my kids think that looking at these roadkill museums is just a really neat opportunity. And... Oh, they all want to be my, you know, I want you as my science teacher, but um, I have a couple of kids that just won't touch them. Um, and I just say, okay, well, you don't have to touch them, but you still have to talk about your animal and you still have to learn. But it's just such a neat opportunity to, um, to be able to feel an animal that um, you normally wouldn't be able to, to feel and to really see, you know, how long their, their claws are and things like that. I have a lot of roadkill that are still in the freezer in my yurt, and so... Um, every so often I'll advertise whoever's interested to come and learn how to, to do a steady skin. And I call them my skinning parties. And we get to, uh, you bring a lunch and a knife and I'll teach you how to, how to take an animal that you just found on the road and, um, and make it into a nice uh, specimen for a museum. I have the permit and I do tell everyone that you can't do this, it's illegal, you have to have a scavenger permit which is what I have. But it's a good thing to put on your resume that you can do this for other universities. All, almost every university has a, a freezer full of some animals somewhere. And so they can help museums by doing study skins. The founders of the UC Natural Reserve System recognized the importance of preserving critical ecosystems throughout California before they disappeared forever. Through the decades, reserves like Landell's Hill Big Creek have proven invaluable serving as outdoor classrooms for thousands of students, protected natural laboratories for scientists, and a limitless inspiration for artists. As the state's population soars and development pressures intensify, the value of the natural reserve system will increase with each passing year.